As a child, I encountered uh, fear, even even terror, any number of times. Uh, thankfully, as an adult, my experiences of uh, fear have become relatively scarce and, and less intense. Nevertheless, uh, one incident still shivers, uh, still send, uh, shivers down my spine whenever I think of it, even even now. It happened before we went to Dallas Seminary. We were still up in Alaska. We served in a quaint little chapel. It's called Country uh, Bible Chapel, and it wasn't just a clever name. It was nestled in the countryside about 60 miles south of, of the Arctic Circle, uh, north of uh, Fairbanks, and uh, it was surrounded by wilderness. And we desired to bring about some minor changes. We thought they were minor anyway. Uh, but the leadership, uh, primarily, really, there was uh, one individual, really was just uh, adamantly opposed to our ideas for reasons unknown and never explained. Uh, after a particularly uh, tense exchange one uh, uh, night uh, after uh, during a meeting, Barbara and I left, and I think we were both pretty uh, we were both pretty upset. We were I was I was certainly angry. Barb was frustrated and we left. The ground was covered with snow and ice and as we left the chapel and got in the car, uh, I did what 20-something men often do when they're upset. I, I, I punched the gas pedal. And it caused our little Datsun B210 to spin around in a, in a semicircle. And that wasn't a big deal because, well, what we do is, sometimes you do that on purpose, right? You get on a nice icy road and just you can get into some really good spins so I knew how to get out of it what unfolded next though was not what I expected the passenger door swung open and somehow our baby Marie slipped out of the car seat Barb was holding and straight through the open door today's safety features that we have didn't exist 40 some years ago the spin rapidly transformed into one of the most heart-stopping moments of my life. Barb's as well. I hastily brought the car to a stop. I got out. Barb remained inside, as you can imagine, screaming for Marie. And I searched as quickly as I could the area around the car. And uh, there was nothing. And I couldn't hear any crying or anything. And so the chilling realization came over me that she was, she had to be underneath the car. And so I started with the back of the car and I looked under the wheels, nothing there, it was dark. So I, with a Datsun, you know, is about that high off the ground. So I'm reaching as best I can with great difficulty on to the front wheels. And my, I, I eventually, I, I, I found her. She was perfectly aligned with the tire that was turned and in direct contact with it. So when I had hit the brakes to stop, the wheels stopped, she slid, it slid, they met like this, and then she just glided like an ice skater right along with the, with the with the tire 
and uh, securely nestled there. Uh, she emerged from this entirely unscathed, not a scratch. She didn't even cry, nothing. All uh, she had was the security and comfort of her tightly wound blanket while her mother and I were overwhelmed. All of us know, oh, by the way, these two are uh, her sons. Didn't know you came that close to not being here, did you? (laughs) All of us know what fear feels like. It just seems like it's something that is innate to us. And And there are appropriate kinds of fear that we need to feel. It protects us. It helps us to be okay in this world. So all fear is not bad. You should fear uh, flames. <laughs> you, you, you should fear uh, open water, depending on what your context is. And we understand what uh, that feels like, but we may also understand what inappropriate, debilitating fears and anxieties that, that, that grind and and clamp us and, and hold us down, whether that's because of financial issues, whether that's because of health issues, whether that's because of relational issues, whatever it may be because we sometimes are overburdened with fear such that it causes us a, a negative impact in our daily lives. In my training as a a counselor, one of the most important things that I can help a person do is to create a safe space. Now, you may have heard that words in all kinds of contexts, but what I'm talking about is the uh, a place that allows a sense of calm to overcome a sense of anxiety, uh, a sense of of, harmony to overcome a, a, a sense of injury. In our text today, that's exactly what Jesus does. But he doesn't simply create a safe space. He is the safe space. John 6, we're going to pick up one of the verses that we had uh, last week as well. 15, 6, 15 through 21. follows one of the most amazing miracles uh, that we uh, see Jesus do that's recorded for us. And J.R. beautifully explained this story to us, the feeding of the, the 5,000 with the, the loaves and the, and, the, and the fish, and striking to remember that they only counted the men at that point. So the crowd was actually much, much larger. And all the people ate until they were full. Uh, but what happens next is not only directly connected, but it's equally as astounding. So following the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, we read that Jesus withdrew to a mountain to pray when the people began to talk about forcing him to be the king. So let's read the scripture and see what we can learn. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. He told them, it is I, uh, in Greek, just by the way, that's ego and me. What he said was, I am. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today because there are other texts in John where I want to focus on that. But understand, that's what he said. He didn't say, it is I. He said, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him in the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land uh, to which they were going. So back in verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What we see most clearly is that the crowds did not understand the miracle at all. And in verse 26, we find the key as to why Jesus withdrew. And he wouldn't have anything to do with it. In verse 26, Jesus answered them, "Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, they wanted to make him king because he was able to fill their stomachs. Now, in these days, we don't see starvation uh, very much. In that day, it was actually a fairly common occurrence. We don't see drought and famine. We've done all manner of things to ensure that we have a good food supply. Nevertheless, much of the world today and all of the world then knew what famine was, knew what starvation was. And so this was a big deal for them. He can make food from Nothing. And that is not the gospel. In fact, that's the stuff that Jesus walks away from. Perceiving uh, then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. Jesus walked away. He doesn't want anything to do with that. When he wrote in the early 70s, Francis Schaeffer, some of you may have heard of him. He was right when he said that the only two values remaining in America were personal peace and affluence. And by personal peace, what he meant was a form of extreme individualism that desire to be left alone and do one's thing regardless of what that lifestyle choice meant for anyone else. We don't care. We see that around us today. It's mine, you celebrate it. Second, affluence, and that was this. Just stay, keep your hands off my stuff. Things, things, more things. Life is measured in the abundance of things. Let me do my own thing, let me have my money, and all will be well. And we'll... We'll let anybody rule over us, provided that they give us those things. But Jesus was better than that. Jesus is not, listen, 
This isn't so, certainly not in the circles that I run in today, but I have in the past, and it's it's been a real discouragement for me. Jesus is not Santa Claus. Jesus is not the bearer of goodies. Jesus is not the trough that you feed at. Jesus is not the one who gives you all the food or all the things that you want so that you will follow him in your selfish way because he's giving you those things. That's how this crowd was. Uh, They turned toward him, not because their hearts were changed, but because their bellies were filled. Those who continue to believe that do not understand the true Jesus. When Jesus sacrificed his flesh on the cross, he wasn't just making a point. He became bread for sinners. I mean, the entire point of making bread out of nothing, manna, by the way, manna means what is it? (laughs) They didn't know what it was. What is it? So when you say manna, you're thinking of something, thing, but it's actually a question. What What is it? Like God making manna, the Son of God came into the world not to give you bread, but to be your bread. He became bread, all nourishing, all satisfying, life-giving for sinners who didn't deserve it at all. By the way, for you Tolkien fans, just in passing, Lembus bread uh, was intentionally designed after, modeled after uh, communion bread. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. (laughs) Just the fans. Jesus Walking on the water here is the fifth miracle uh, that John recorded in the gospel. But we cannot leave it alone in John. We have to take a little uh, pieces and bits from Matthew and Mark because they all talk about the same incident. And it's essential to read all three accounts because they all describe and complement the event. For example... If it weren't for Matthew and Mark, if you were just left with John, where it says uh, they were going to take him to be king, Jesus went up on a mountain, the disciples, it seemed like they were going like, uh, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, let's go get in a boat and let's head out over to Capernaum and then we'll pick up Jesus along the way or he'll make his own way or, or whatever. But Matthew and Mark tell us a little add uh, something a little different it says jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him he made them do this and according to uh, again matthew and mark it was after jesus made the disciples get into the boat that he went up to the mountainside to pray and then as a part of this story uh, we learn something that's not recorded in, in John at all, but uh, that as Jesus was approaching the boat, Peter saw him and said, Lord, if, if it's you, don't you just love it, if it's you? If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he did. And Peter walked on the water, at least for a moment. And then Matthew tells us, but he saw the wind and he saw the waves 
he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. The waves still churned and the winds still howled as Peter listened for Jesus to call him to the water. In other words, Jesus didn't still everything. He didn't bring everything to a place of calm. He didn't take away the wind. He didn't take away the waves. But Peter was so focused on Jesus that he was able to get out. He was able to walk on the water. And it wasn't until he began to focus again on the waves and the wind that he sank. Now, there's something very important beyond the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And that is Jesus extends to you and to me the same invitation that he extended to Peter. And there's something about that. that There are things about that actually more than something that we need to know. First is, just like with Peter, he rarely calms the storm before extending the invitation. In fact, most of the time, the invitation is given during the trials that we have in life. It's when we are at our most fearful that he reaches out to us. And we don't like that. (laughs) Uh, We want Jesus to still the storms. We want him, hey, okay, just make this go away. Smooth sailing for the remainder of our days, and then all will be good, right? Take the pain away, Jesus. Take this situation away from me. Uh, we, we tend to pray in that direction. I kind of alluded to this. I want to go back to it. And it's, not because it's, a, it's not because it's a hobby horse. It's because I think that it is something that damages in a serious way, people's spiritual life. And that is the notion that this, it's the same notion that the people had when they got their bellies filled. It's the same thing. But teaching that promises that once you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, your health is going to be okay. Your wealth is going to be okay. You'll have no more sorrow. You'll have no more troubles. You'll have... No more trials. And if somebody wants to find that, you find that right here in Houston, but you won't find it here at First Colony Bible Chapel. You can read through Genesis through Revelation and you will never reconcile that uh, truth with biblical truth or that notion with biblical truth. Uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not saying that God doesn't heal. I'm not saying that God doesn't intervene. I'm just saying that's not normative. That's not the the normal Christian life. You know what the normal Christian life is? What did Jesus say it was? In this life, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer. What? Didn't you die in order to take all that away? No. Reason with me. Just reason with me about this in this particular story. Just sit down with me and think about this. Have you ever considered that it was Jesus who sent them into the storm? I want you to remember 
what I mentioned earlier in Matthew. It's Matthew, if you want to write it down, 14.22 and Mark 6.45. It says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. The word made there, the word made in the original means to compel, to force. It mean, it, Jesus forced the disciples. They probably didn't want to go. Jesus, come with us. No, I'm going somewhere else. He forced them into that boat. One of the things that I take out of that is this. Not all the troubles you face are because you did something wrong. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Well, guess what? You Maybe nothing. In fact, some trials are designed for God's greater glory. John tells us here that they had only rode for about three or four miles because of the these strong winds. But, but Matthew and Mark tell us even a little bit more than that. They, it says that they got pushed out to the middle of the lake. Now, here's the thing. From the time they got into that boat, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, to the time that Jesus came was probably a minimum of eight hours. Have you ever rowed a boat? First, <laughs> can you imagine rowing for eight hours? No, you know, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get out there, the wind comes up, you're going to say, yeah, you know what, tomorrow's another day. You're going to go back to shore. No, these, you know why they were rowing, in my opinion? My opinion, they were rowing, they couldn't get back to shore. My opinion is they were rowing as hard as they could to keep the nose of that boat into the waves so they wouldn't capsize. They were working as hard as they could. They were a long way off course. They were exhausted. They were out, according to Matthew and Mark, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, not along the shore, and they couldn't even make it back. And so we're told during the fourth hour of the night, some translations will say shortly before dawn. So it was somewhere between 4 and 6 a.m., somewhere in there. So the question comes to us, if Jesus made them get into the boat, did Jesus know what was going on? Now we say theologically, well, of course Jesus knew what was going on. He's uh, God. He knew. But there's something else that it says, too. It says he saw them. Again, we go to, to Mark, but nevertheless, it says, yeah, I love the, the King James Version here. Jesus saw the disciples toiling with the oars. Toiling with the oars. The, the New King James says he saw the disciples straining at the oars. In other words, they were giving it all they had, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. Why didn't he do something? We know from other scriptures that he could have just said, peace, be still. But that's not what he did. 
he allowed this to go on until they were completely exhausted. He did not show up when they wanted him to show up. But he showed up when he chose to show up. You know, the disciples were no different than us. That's what we want. That's what we ask for. And I, and, and I think that's okay. I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong to ask uh, God for that. What's wrong is when we reject his choice as to how he handles it. But of course they wanted Jesus to come and quiet the wind. And some of you may be in distress. Some of you may be in deep distress. Some of you may be, uh, have in the past been in deep distress. All of you at one point in your life or another will be in deep distress. For some of you though, it's in existential. It's now. And the waves are beating against the boat. You can't even raise the sails. Goodness gracious, that would push you backwards even further. You look up into heaven, and even though you believe, you don't feel the presence of God at all. You just see the stars, not the presence of the one who created the stars. If you haven't been there yet, one day you will. And you need to listen, because this is very important. I think it's the most important thing about this entire text is that Jesus sent them into the Sea of Galilee. Jesus saw them straining. He knew the winds were going to come up. He knew this was going to happen. He is telling us this morning this. Do not be afraid. So when they had rowed, Okay, about three or four miles, quoting the text again, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Terrified's a better word, I think. But he said to them, I am, or it is I, do not be afraid. So his response immediately to the disciples was not to be afraid. And if you think about that, for just a moment you can see the this is the fantastic reassurance that's found in them. What Jesus is saying is this, okay, and this is where sometimes we have to look with our spiritual eyes to see. What was the thing that frightened the disciples? They were frightened by Jesus. In our lives, sometimes the thing that frightens us is this form in the midst of the sea doing what is impossible, that is Jesus. The things that oppose you and me, the sea, the winds, they are under his feet. He is in control of those events. There's no need to fear. I'm going to restate this in just a moment because this is really for, this is for everybody, but... I think that it's something that that mature believers will be able to process and organize and maybe help others to understand. I mean, when taken by faith, uh, these words, he's saying for our benefit, because he's teaching the disciples about resources. 
He's teaching the disciples that he is their resource. Because he knows he's going to die on the cross. He knows they're going to be left alone. And he knows that they need a resource to uh, uh, appeal to. And their fear was immediately relieved. It was immediately relieved. And he's saying, you can trust me. And he's saying, I might not, I might not still the storm, but I will still you. He can give you peace. You can know peace through him, especially if you're coming apart, you know, at the seams. But immediately, there was this further demonstration of the power of Jesus. Because as soon as he got in the boat, what happened? They were immediately, immediately at their destination. I don't know what you call that. Teleportation? I don't know what you call that. But whatever it is, it's a miracle. They went from the middle of the lake. Oh, but they weren't out in the middle of the lake. They were just 100 meters offshore, and Jesus was walking on a sandbar. Okay, if that's what the facile kind of belief a person wants to take, go for it. But how do you explain this one? They were immediately on the dock at Capernaum. So let's get down to the why of this. What's the meaning of this miracle? Because Jesus didn't randomly pass out miracles. All his miracles were there for uh, reasons. One of the things we need to note is that only the disciples saw this miracle. So this miracle, or actually these cluster of miracles on the boat and near the boat, were for believers only. That means they're, what Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching you and he's teaching me. And C.S. Lewis calls those, the feeding of the 5,000, he calls it a miracle of the old creation. What he meant by that was he used natural bread, natural fish with a mixed crowd of people who believe, people who didn't believe in a supernatural way in the natural world. Okay, so that's what he meant by that. But he calls the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, he calls that something else. He says, that's a miracle of the new creation. And what are we? Who are we? We're new. New creations. And, and by that, he didn't mean new creation a la in the, in the future, you know, the, the new heavens and the new earth. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the invisible, the hidden realities, spiritual, that we have through Jesus Christ. Therefore, this miracle was intended only for the disciples and only for us, unlike the feeding of the 5,000. It is designed so that we can settle the agony of uncertainty and anxiety that often grips our hearts. I've mentioned a number of those things already. I'm not going to mention them again uh, in terms of the things that can, can go wrong. But what I want to say as I move towards wrapping these thoughts up is the very thing that frightens you, the very thing 
that scares you, Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, it's me. And that I am coming to you in and around these painful circumstances. You don't need to be afraid. I am in charge. I have chosen it for you. He sent them on the water. He saw them straining and he said, don't be afraid. You know, sometimes we just, we, we make ourselves too powerful. Oh, what did I do wrong? How, you know, how is the Lord punishing me? When the Lord is not punishing you, he's blessing you in ways that you cannot comprehend. Even in the moment to bring greater glory to him. If you believe that God is in control That is your only place to go. Jesus is saying that I am there. Period. Full stop. And when our faith responds the way the disciples' faith responded, and we take him into the boat, we take him in, guess what happens? Guess what happens? The boat gets to the shore right there. Does that mean the troubles go away? No. What it means is this, that your heart is at peace. What do you think a peace that passes understanding is? It's a peace that God himself gives to you. We find that we've arrived and we don't arrive at that point. Listen, if you don't have peace in your heart, let me me tell you right now, you, you, you can't force it. You know, oh, peace, 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 peace. You know, okay, music, 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 whatever you want to jam and ram and and run and everything else, it ain't going to happen. That's not the way it works. The way it works is Jesus says, be at peace. And you are at peace. He said, be not afraid. All through the uh, Gospels, fear not, do not be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. The apostle says the same thing. What, you know, when you, when you look at this, and John wraps all this up, he's saying that we do not fear, not because we're so bright, we can't find a way out, and we're so strong that we can defeat the waters and the oars, but because he is with us and he is in charge. When John was reflecting on this story, All he could see was, this whole thing was orchestrated by Jesus himself. For 12 people. And by extension, us. Father, you have, if if we know you, those of us who know you, you have sent us. You have sent us into this world. You see our trials. You are not absent. You're not off in some distant place, unaware of the straining and the toiling that we are under. You know and you care. And when you speak to us, you say to us, don't be afraid.
Lord, give us ears to hear that. Give us, give us an understanding that you are sovereign. And that when you bring uh, peace, we can have peace. Now, we may not understand some things. In fact, assuredly, we will not until glory. But that doesn't mean that we can't have peace now. And so we rest in that, not as we are able, but as we trust in you. And we give you the praise and the glory due your name through Christ our Lord. Amen.